Father, again, we uh, come before you and we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your work. We ask today that your spirit would be abundantly known and present as we look to your word. It's in Jesus' precious name. Turn, if you will, if you have your Bibles, to the book of Acts, chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 42 to 47. Acts 2, 42 to 47. I'm going to give you just a brief context, just because it'll help put us in the right place in the story. The book of Acts is essentially the story of how the church... Uh, from the point of Jesus' ascension, how the church begins. Um, <clears throat> chapter 2 is still part of the introduction that our author Luke uh, is writing. It's kind of the closing marks of the introduction. Um, what we see in the first chapter, we'll just think through it quickly here. In the first chapter, we see Jesus' ascension into heaven. It's kind of the last moment. Uh, that his apostles and or the apostles and the disciples are going to see Jesus, and in in kind of the same vein or same thought process as Jesus gives the great commission in Matthew 28, he gives the same kind of commission, uh, just in different terminology in Acts 1:8. Go therefore, or be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then he ascends into heaven, and the two men in white robes, presumably angels, say, "What are you guys doing, standing around?" Get to work. They go and they gather together, and they know they're supposed to wait for something. They don't quite know what yet. They're going to wait for something. And while they're waiting, they replace Judas Iscariot as uh, with Matthias as as, a, as another apostle, somebody who had been with Jesus through the whole matter, through the whole time they were with him. He was here teaching and preaching. And then the Holy Spirit comes. Chapter two. Holy Spirit falls upon them. Tongues of fire above their head. There's this great windstorm outside, and it draws the attention of many people. And Peter gets up, he goes outside, he gets up, and he preaches a sermon. Now he preaches a sermon. At the end of his sermon, 3,000 people, 3,000 people, their hearts are changed and drawn. 3,000 people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. When we think about that, we think, oh, Peter must have preached the greatest sermon ever. Must have been stunning. As we look at it, as we study it, it's really nothing special. It's actually quite simple. It's not complex. Talks about a lot of things from the Old Testament. He, he calls the people out and he shares the love of Jesus. 3,000 people come to know Jesus. That's a big church in a minute. Went from 120 to 3,000 plus. The question at, at that point is, okay, what now? Good start. 
What now? Set up programs, functions, let's establish an order, leadership, let's make plans. Not at all. Instead, we get Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. Verse 42. These 3,120 people. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to the prayer. Prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I'm going to give you the same warning that I gave you last week. This verse, in particular, verse 42, has been shaking me up a bit. So I might be a little scatterbrained, and I apologize in advance. There's about three hours of things that I could be saying to you, and I've tried to whittle it down to about a half an hour or so. Try not to go on any rabbit trails. Last week we started a, a little two-part mini-series, whatever you want to call it, where we talked about uh, the Great Commission. We talked about what the purpose of the church was. purpose of the church, quite simply, is probably twofold. Number one, to glorify God. It is always our purpose, to glorify God. And the second is what Jesus tells us in Matthew 20, 28 and in Acts chapter 1 to go and make disciples of all nations. The question maybe is, what is a disciple? It's not a convert. At least not, it's not the end of it. You say it a different way. Disciples are converts, but there's something more. I told you that there was a pattern in the ancient world, in, in the first century of disciples. People that followed Jesus, literally left their jobs and lived with Jesus for probably three years. Peter, James, and John were with Jesus everywhere he went. Discipleship is action. It's movement. It's not just knowledge. It's not just knowing that I'm saved. It's, it's being changed by the knowledge of being saved. And then going out and bringing that same knowledge to everybody else. I want to try to give you some numbers here, and I want to do it as briefly as I can. Let's pretend for a moment that, there, that half of the world's population is Christian. Half. It's an absurd number. It's way, way higher than it actually is. But let's just pretend 
per minute and a half of the world's population is Christian. About three and a half, or 3.75 billion people. It's like seven and a half billion people here, give or take. 3.75 billion people are Christians. Let's pretend for a moment that we decided to just go out and make some converts. Let's just let's pretend that 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 I decided nobody else nobody else did this. I decided I'm going to go out and I'm going to make some converts, and I'm really good at it. Let's pretend I'm really really good at it. And every single day of my life, I make a convert. Do you know how long, how many days it'll take to get to 3.75 billion? More than my life. It's just shy of 100 million years. It's an absurd number, right? It's, just, it's absurd. And, and we, we talked last week about how, how Jesus, he's like, go and make disciples of all nations. Go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is an absurd task, right, when we think about it in that, in that way. And this is how the church thinks, especially in America. We think that the pastors and the leaders of the church, they're the ones who are supposed to be witnessing and making, making disciples. I, I can't convert the world. I mean, I can't convert the world, but I can't, I can't even play my part and be, be a participant in, in lives being changed over the whole world. But that's not what Jesus calls us to do. He calls us to make disciples, and disciples make disciples, and disciples make disciples, and so on and so forth. So let's do some different numbers. Let's pretend there's no Christians on earth. All Christianity has stopped, and there's one person left, and that one person decides over the course of three months... They're going to make one disciple. And then after three months, those two disciples of Christ are now going to go and make uh, one disciple each. And they're going to multiply in, in powers of two. Three months, doubling. Some of you who, who, are, who know math might know what's going, to, what's going to happen here. We continue that pattern. Remember, there's no Christians on earth. So we gotta, we got to reach 7.5 billion people on the planet. It's going to take many, many years, right? Probably hundreds of thousands of years, right? No. It takes, it takes 15 years to reach every single person on the earth. That's, counting, that's saying that there's no Christians now. Pretend that there's, there's half a million Christians on the earth. That number dr- dramatically decreases. It's closer to 10, I think. It's very possible to convert the whole world. But it's still a massively daunting task. Because maybe some of you have said, well, how am I going to make a disciple every three months? Well, good news is is you're not going to. Spirit is. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, he tells us to be prepared to give a reason for our, our hope, an answer. Jesus in Luke chapter 12, verse 12, he's talking to his disciples about, about being persecuted. And he says, don't worry about when you're persecuted, when you're standing in front of the Sanhedrin and you're standing in front of the, the religious leaders. Don't worry about what you're going to say because the Spirit of God is going to give you the words that you're going to say. Peter tells us, be prepared as much as you can be prepared. And then Jesus says, your preparation isn't 
isn't why you're going to be able to win souls. It's the Spirit of God that dwells in you. And I've said this before, and I will say it again. The same Spirit that dwelt in Christ Jesus, the same Spirit that dwelt in Peter who preached a sermon and 3,000 souls came to know Jesus, is in you. That Spirit is not ineffective. But a lot of times that Spirit can't work because we simply don't do it. We don't go to make disciples. That was last week's sermon, though, so I'm not going to go over that again. The real question is, okay, how do we do this? How do we make disciples? What are we supposed to do? How are we, what, what patterns and plans are we supposed to come up with so that we can do this job? Because I'm going to guess that there's not very many people in this room who know how to make disciples based on experience because somebody has discipled you which is a sad commentary on the the health of the church today. I'm going to give you the simplest answer that I could possibly give you. Did you know that every single person is different? Look to your right, look to your left. That person that's beside you, they're different. You may have similar traits. Maybe your, your family Maybe you've been married for 25 years and you're starting to meld together and you're starting to look very similar to each other. Maybe not looks, but sorry, wives. Men, we can only hope. Maybe we share similar traits, similar patterns, or similar thoughts, but every single person in this room is different. And every single person in this room came to know Jesus different. And every person that doesn't know Christ needs a different conversation. Now, every, every conversation, every, every time we go to evangelize, or every time we try to go and grow new Christians into maturity, we have to take a different approach because we're all different. Now, now yes, there are certainly things that are the same that are similar, there's patterns, or there's things that we will will inevitably talk about. If if I'm going to go and I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus, if I'm going to evangelize to somebody, tell them the good news, I'm going to tell them about Jesus, right? Every single conversation that happens in evangelistic efforts has to have something about Jesus, or else it's not evangelism. This, I think, is what Peter's talking about when he says, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Know why you're a Christian. It shouldn't be that complex. But some of us, I think, unfortunately, aren't entirely confident. To no fault of your own. To the fault of the church for not discipling. The pattern that very clearly Jesus gave us So I think we need to try to be prepared. We need to make every effort to be prepared. But how? Once we're prepared, what about all the oddities? What about the strange situations that might arise? We talked about a couple of them yesterday at the missions meeting. Strange opportunities that might pop up. A Hindu doctor who's going to work on your child's health issue. How do I witness to that person? 
we can't write enough books to explain every possible situation, and that's not what we're supposed to do. We make every effort to be prepared, and then we trust that the Holy Spirit is going to move us. But, but again, then we have to ask the question, well, how do we know what the Holy Spirit is saying? That brings us to our passage, I think. See, the, 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 the new Christians and, and, and the apostles who have been walking around with Jesus, they, they got it. And they said it's not some complex puzzle that we have to put together. In fact, it's very, very simple. It's be with Jesus and be with everybody else. Be with the church. Be with Jesus and be with the church. This is how we begin to make disciples. It doesn't quite get it, right? Though we don't, it, that can't possibly be it. Be with Jesus and be with other Christians. It's got to be more place. It says, and they devoted themselves, verse 42, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. I'm going to do something a little different than I normally do. I'm going to, I'm going to spend less time telling you what it says and more time what it means to us. I think this passage is fairly simple. The foundation of the church, the very first thing that the church stood on were these four points. Apostles' teaching, which for us today is the Bible, is the Word of God. Is then the fellowship. Now fellowship is a word that's thrown out in the church, but many people don't know what fellowship is. Fellowship is being with each other. It's not complex. Right now, we're fellowshipping. Later, when some of you will leave and some of you will stay in the back in our new lobby space, that is fellowship. Sitting with a friend at the movie theaters is also fellowship. Sometimes. Go to the movies with your, your significant other and holding hands, and you talk about the movie afterward. Okay, that was fellowship. But if you're watching a movie just to stop having a conversation with your significant other, that's not fellowship. The purpose of fellowship is quite simply to just live life together. Church is intimidating. Life isn't. And we are progressively in this nation moving away from living life with other people. There was once a time whenever you didn't move out of you didn't move out of the, the town that you grew up in, and that's a different conversation for this area, but you didn't move out of the town you grew up in. And and a lot of times you just lived with your parents until your parents died. Being with other people used to be massively important to the to the fabric of this nation. And the more individualistic we become, the more we separate ourselves from other people to our detriment. To the breaking of bread. Now we can be tempted to think that this is just communion. Because this is terminology that we use to describe communion. We take communion once a week here. Every week. Take a little piece of bread, a little cup of juice, and we eat it and we drink it and we talk about Jesus and that's great. That is, I think, communion. But what 
the apostles and the first believers did at the foundation of the church is they ate together. They had meals together. And when they had meals together, they remembered Jesus. It wasn't just when they ate bread and just when they drank wine. It was every time they got together and ate a meal. Because there is something inherently special about eating with other people. Did you know that you must have food to live? Did you know that? Every single person in this room, if you do not, if you go on a hunger strike, eventually you'll die from lack of food. Surprising, right? There's a reason why when we get together and we eat the life-giving food, something in us connects with the person different than any other situation. There is a reason why in the Old Testament, when the people of Israel were persecuted and God, and God saved them, He said, okay, eat now. Because it draws us together unlike anything else. We have conversations around the dinner table that we will never have anywhere else. And those conversations matter. They're connected in a different way. So we devote ourselves to the Word of God. We devote ourselves to being with other believers. And we devote ourselves scarily to eating with other believers. This is why we have meals here. Not just because we like food, but because there's something important about eating with other believers. Now the question is, how often? As often as you possibly can. It says a little bit later, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking food in their homes. Every day. They ate together every day. When is the last time you shared a meal with somebody that's not your family, that's part of the church? And lastly, to the prayers. We're going to circle back around here in a second. I want to show you the response that happens. I want to show you what happens to the early church whenever they devoted themselves to these four things. It says, and all came upon every soul. It was, to use the word properly, awesome. It was special. It was unique. It was life-changing. It was awesome. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Special things were happening. Unique things were happening. People were being healed. People were being converted. People were being, being uh, brought back from the dead. Crazy things are happening. Signs and wonders to, to proclaim loudly the goodness of God. If you study the book of Acts, you'll find that every single time a miracle happens in the book of Acts, immediately after or immediately before, somebody is told about Jesus. And becomes effective because people go, I just saw God work, and now I'm being told about God. And they had all, and all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now this one gets a little dicey because later on in the in the first century, uh, Paul has to make a collection from the, has to take a collection from the Corinthians and the Thessalonians to help uh, the the now 
impossibly poor Jewish or Jerusalem church because they gave all their stuff away and they didn't continue to work. You see, that was the problem. It wasn't that they sold their possessions to provide for the needs of the other people in the church. It was that they stopped working because they thought, well, Jesus is coming back like next week, so we don't really need to keep working. We just need to live off the stuff we have. But I think it's very important that we see this. While there are other things that we need to do, Sometimes selling the stuff we have to provide for those people who are part of our church is exactly the response. And day by day, verse 46, attending the temple together, they they were committed to being at church with one another. Not just on Sunday, but every day of the week. That's a scary one, right? They broke bread in their homes. They had meals together and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And Paul's there for a second. What's the purpose of the church again? Why are we still here? To glorify God, to make disciples of all nations. Verse 47. What else were they doing? Praising God, glorifying God, and having favor with all people, not just other Christians, but everybody that they encountered because there was something different about them. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Glorify God and make disciples of all nations. How do we make disciples of all nations? How is it possible that I'm going to, that I'm going to go out and I'm going to evangelize and somebody's going to come to know Jesus? Well, it's not a program. It's not a, it's not a pattern. It's not some secret formula. It's being in relationship with God and it's being in relationship with other Christians. It's really that simple. And when we start to do this, something inherently changes in how we interact with the rest of the world. And then God, through our movement, brings converts. The Lord added to their number. Not us. It's not about me being a great evangelist. It's about, it's about the Lord working So what should we do? I'm going to share my opinions for a second on how I think this church is doing. I think they're more than just opinions. I think we are devoted to the apostles' teaching. I think we do all right here. There's always room for improvement. I think we do pretty good. We read the Bible in this church. We read it often, and we care about it. And if there's ever a moment where you do not think that what I'm saying is because of the scriptures, you better confront me. Devotion is a decision. It's a choice. To not just think something is important, but because you know it's important, you act upon it. There's a reason why Every pastor ever has told you to read your Bible every single day. It's not because every single day you are going to have some miraculous experience with God. That will not happen. I promise you. There are going to be times when you decide to read the Bible and you don't want to read your Bible and you're not going to be paying attention and you're not going to be focused and you're not going to be changed. But we are called and commanded to be in relationship 
with our God. Which is why we read the Bible. We read the Bible not to get something out of it. That sounds really wrong. But to be with our God. Max very poignantly pointed out, this is the word of God. This is God speaking to us. Every single person, every single couple that I've ever counseled, pre-marriage, marriage, whatever, I've said one thing in common. Well, more than one thing because I talk about Jesus a lot. But I've also said this one thing in common. One of the most important things, the most important thing next to a relationship with Christ Jesus in your relationship is good, healthy communication. Good listening and good speaking. When we read the Bible, what we're doing is we're listening to God. Many of us, almost probably, no, all of us are bad listeners in, in life. And many of us are bad listeners when we come to Scripture. We're not devoted to the book because it's some special book that's going to unlock secrets and patterns and we're going to benefit from it. No, we are, we are encountering a conversation with the almighty God of the universe who has sent his son to die for you. Isn't that worth a conversation? Like I said, every good conversation is two parts. It's good listening, which we're all very bad at and we don't do often enough. And it's good talking. Now, we talk more than we listen, but we're also, many of us, very bad talkers. We don't think about everybody else. Missy and I, we've been married for ten and a half years. We've been together for sixteen and a half years. We've gotten to know each other over time. There are times whenever we'll be driving down the road and I'll... And I'll think something. I'll be thinking about it. Oh, that's a really interesting thought. And Missy will just all of a sudden she'll ask questions exactly what's going on in my head. Got to know each other. But Missy and I, we speak completely different languages. And we both only speak English. Completely different languages. The Gerbers, I'm sorry, Gerbers. The Gerbers use the word never and always, all the time. Always. You're welcome. Seldom do they use it right. As evidenced by what I just said. My family didn't. And so sometimes, whenever I'm being particularly not a good husband, Missy will say to me, you never do the dishes. I think I'm a pretty good dish doer. And what she's saying is not you never do the dishes. She's just frustrated in the moment. And the word that she uses is never. And what I hear, because we didn't use those words in my household, because I think my parents had a pet peeve against it, which is why I have a pet peeve against it, that when I hear that, it cuts me, right? I go, oh, man. I don't feel like you even notice the things that I'm trying to do out of love for you. It hurts me. We need to be good listeners. So I need to know that when Missy says that, that's not what she means. Even though my gut reaction is to you know. But also, we need to learn to change how we speak. I know that whenever I say this or whenever I say that, they're going to start to see, they're going to hear this. They're going to hear that. So we need to change the way we speak to each other. And this is exactly what's happening in this passage. 
We need to learn to listen to God speaking to us. But we'll never learn to listen to God speaking to us if we don't actually listen to God speaking to us. The only reason why I know Missy uses the word never a lot is because we talk a lot. And sometimes we don't remember to speak back to God. I think we do, we do, we are devoted to the Word of God here. I think we care about it deeply. I think we do fellowship well. Not great, but well. Many of you will stay around here until 12.30, 1 o'clock. Sometimes I hear people saying, oh, we got to get out of here so Ryan can go home. Never. I mean, sometime, but. <laughs> but I. That to me is so vitally important. Because we're not, we're not just doing it because it's fun, but because it matters. But that fellowship should go beyond this building. It should go outside of this place. We should be, we should be hanging out with each other more. Who would you rather be with than your brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus? I hope that list is pretty short. And we should be having meals together. And I think there is a time when we, there are periods when we do better with this. These things are intentional. Devotion means that you are intentionally doing this. It's a decision. Not every meal that you're going to share with a fellow brother or sister in Christ is going to be earth shattering. You're not going to become fast friends. No, that's not what, that's not what it's for. It's listening to the simple commands that God gives us. And I think we pray in this church. We do pray in this church. I start my sermons in prayer. I end my sermons in prayer. I start every meeting that I can in prayer, and I end every meeting I can in prayer. But we are not devoted to prayer in this church. It starts with me. I said the same thing last week. I struggle to pray. It's a decision. I'm not telling you that tomorrow you need to pray for three hours in the morning before you go to work. That's, that's silly. You're going to get burnt out immediately. But make a decision. Get your phone out. As I'm sure all of you have your phones. And get the timer out. If you don't pray every single day, put two minutes. Turn it on. Pray to the Lord. Talk to Him. Nothing fancy. Talk to Him. Be with me today. Show me something today. Teach me today. I think that every prayer should in some sense revolve around God speaking back to us. Which is the Word of God. Prayer and Bible reading should always go hand in hand. Every time you read the Bible, even, though, even if you're not actually saying things back to God, should always be in the sense of prayer. And I think as we read the Bible, and, and inevitably you come to a passage like, I have no idea what this is saying. Ask God what it's saying. Talk to him like you would talk to a friend. Talk to him like you would talk to somebody who cares so deeply about you knowing him, because he does. When two minutes seems to go by fast, change it to three, then four, then five, then ten, then fifteen, and however long you want it to go, eventually you'll turn it off because you don't need to be reminded to pray deeply. But make a choice. 
be devoted to it. The desire this this Wednesday is we're gonna we're not gonna have our our normal Bible study, but we're gonna have a prayer meeting. Unless instructing, do you think we're gonna be all right, Clay? We're gonna have a prayer meeting. We'll open it up for questions. Maybe we don't know how to pray. We're gonna pray together. We're gonna pray over Scripture. We're gonna pray. We're gonna take little baby steps towards deeply caring about the about the prayers. And it's when this stuff starts to happen that I believe what Acts teaches us is that all the rest starts to happen. The widows in a few chapters, they're being neglected. The, the Greek widows, they're being neglected and, and they don't go, let's build a program. They go, let's, let's, let's empower people who are already loving on them to do it more. We will inevitably start to do the things that God calls us to do when we know His voice. But we don't know His voice until we start listening to it. It is as simple as that. Let's pray. Father, you have you have promised us your helper. That when we know we are weak, we also know he is strong. I doubt there are many people in this place or really anywhere who think that they are great prayers. So move us to prayer. Lord, we know that we do not need to be convinced that it's important. But sometimes we just don't see its value. So show it to us. Let our eyes be open enough to see it when you move. Drive us to our knees in whatever method that you see you see fit. God, draw us together as a church, both here in this building and everywhere where the church is. Help us to fellowship with one another with other people who confess Christ as Savior. Help us open up our homes, share meals, share stories, share hurts, share joys. Teach us from your word. Help us feeble wretches be devoted to you. In your precious and holy Son, Jesus' name.